0: Chapter 29 of Just As I Am This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon Chapter 29 Was Life Worth Living? Morton Blake had told himself that it was best that he and Dulcie should be parted. He had made up his mind long ago that his chief duty in life was to avenge his father's death the bringing home of his murdered father's body, that father from whom he had parted so blithely at the lodge gate in the grey autumn morning, the father whose strong arms had lifted him in front of the saddle for a few minutes' trot on the stout hunter, the father against whose broad chest his childish cheek had been lovingly laid for a parting hug before the firm, strong hand dropped him lightly upon the turf beside the open gate the child awakened by the confusion and horror of the household had run down in his nightshirt, barefooted to the hall in time to see the corpse brought across the threshold the impression made by that awful scene upon a mind naturally intense and concentrative had become part of the boy's being and had strengthened as the years went by thus it was that from the moment dark doubts of sir everard courtenay entered his mind Morton had been unhappy in his relations with Dulcie, loving her with his heart and soul, yet feeling that to his love he was sacrificing duty. He had tried to stifle his doubts, he had prayed that he might become blind rather than make any discovery which should alienate him from the girl he loved. But her father had taken the initiative, and the tie which the lover could not have broken was sundered he remembered now how strongly sir everard had opposed his suit in the first instance and how he had only yielded when he saw that to be inflexible might be to break his daughter's heart was not this opposition for which there was no ground in the social position or moral character of the lover another link in the chain of evidence which morton had been putting together reluctantly despairingly knowing that the destruction of his own happiness must be the result, if that horrible suspicion which had slowly gathered strength in his mind should prove true. He had told himself that it was a good thing for his engagement to Dulcie to be broken, but he had not known how deeply his love for her was rooted in his heart, or how empty of all delight his life would be without her. He had borne their temporary separation better than he had supposed he could have done, simply because the work and excitement of the election had left him no time for thought but now that the election was over and that he had resigned himself to a lifelong severance from dulcie he found how hard it was to exist without her for some weeks after his interview with lucy green he lived as in a dreary dream keeping himself aloof from his family shutting himself in his study on pretence of business and taking long lonely walks after dark When he was sure of meeting no one who knew him, and thus could avoid all that friendly everyday talk which jars so painfully upon a mind given over to one all absorbing grief. And now the natural result of such a life had overtaken him, and he was prostrate with a fever which was rather mental than physical, and which sorely puzzled that rough and ready practitioner, Mr. Shafto Jebb. though he was careful to conceal his perplexity from the anxious women at Tangley Manor. Morton had told no one that his engagement with Dulcie was ended. He had shrunk from the idea of being pitied and sympathised with, as he would have shrunk from physical torture, but his aunt shrewdly suspected the cause of his depression. She had of late observed that the postbag had brought no letters from Dulcie, nor conveyed Morton's customary budget for the foreign post, There was something wrong, evidently, thought tender-hearted Dora Blake, but when she tried in the gentlest way to approach the subject, Morton met her inquiries with such gloomy reserve that she dared not go further. Prolonged sleeplessness, over-exertion in all kinds of bad weather, and an utter distaste for food had brought him to such a state of weakness that he lay like a log, sometimes remaining for hours silent, apathetic, inert at other times wildly delirious the brain was evidently affected but to what extent shafto jebb could not discover insomnia was the most difficult feature of the disease want of appetite might be overcome by the forcible administration of nourishment but no opiate that mr jebb tried could give sleep laudanum morphia and chloral were given vainly or worse than vainly for they excited and stimulated the brain which they were intended to soothe. Dora Blake begged that a London physician, one of the most famous in the land, might be sent for, and Mr. Jebb consented to be enlightened by the highest scientific authority. But when the great authority appeared, he had very little to communicate in return for his large fee. He assured Miss Blake that Mr. Jebb had been treating the patient with the utmost discretion. The chloral had been perhaps tried a little too persistently, seeing that the effect had been injurious rather than beneficial. The patient's mind had evidently been greatly distressed. There had been some disturbing cause at work, possibly for some time. Perfect repose was absolutely necessary, and the patient's constitution, which had sunk to a very low point under the mental strain, must be built up again. The great authority made a strong point of this rebuilding of the Constitution. The issue of the case would depend upon care and nursing, rather than upon active medical treatment, he said. From what he had the pleasure of knowing of Mr. Jebb, he had never heard of the man's existence until the previous day, he was sure that the gentleman would exercise unremitting watchfulness until a happy result was obtained. If it should be deemed advisable for him to see the patient again, say in about a week or ten days, no marked improvement having taken place meanwhile, he would be happy to come, but as Mr. Jebb was well aware, his practice was of a nature which made such journeys difficult. The physician took a little of the luncheon which had been prepared for him, and then went back to the carriage which was waiting to convey him to Highclere Station he had brought very little comfort to dora blake's mind beyond the assurance that mr jebb was doing what was right the case being precisely one of those in which hardly anything can be done she went back to the darkened room where morton lay tormented with delirious fancies now arguing with his electors now in court at the trial of Humphrey vargas now at a college wine-party disputing some passage in horace now raving about dulcie always incoherent and disjointed in his talk while his aunt was engaged with the physician he had not been alone the rule of the household was that he should never be left his dressing-room had been appropriated to the preparation of nourishment and here his old nurse now a useful servant in the household kept watch over stew-pans of beef-tea and jars of invalid turtle, jelly, arrowroot, and other spoon-food, which was forced at intervals upon the unwilling patient. Here, too, were kept medicine-bottles, and all the litter of a sick-room, leaving Morton's own comfortable chamber cool and neat and airy. Lizzie Hardman was sitting at work near the one window which was not curtained. She was an excellent nurse, quiet yet quick, watchful but never demonstrative, she did not argue with the patient in his delirium or try to rouse him when he lay mute and motionless with dull eyes staring at the wall whatever anxiety she might feel she had always the same placid manner in the sick-room moving with the lightest step and with soft garments that never flapped or rustled whereas both tiny and horatia seemed all ribbons and flounces and were more restless than the patient himself now bending over him to offer him lemonade when he had not the least inclination to drink anon dabbing his forehead with eau de cologne when the chief desire of his enfeebled mind was to be let alone and the lightest touch of a strong healthy hand was like a blow from a blacksmith's hammer i am sure you must be tired lizzie said dora in her low gentle voice looking down at her protege as she sat working a counterpane in crewels a labour which promised to last as long as Penelope's, but to show a brilliant result when finished. You have been sitting here since six this morning. I am not at all tired, dear auntie, but I insist upon your going to lie down. You were up all night. I feel too uneasy to sleep, Lizzie. What is the use of lying down? You will be resting at any rate and you really must try to sleep, or we shall have you as ill as poor Morton. Was the London doctor very hopeful?' Lizzie did not look up from her work as she asked the question, but her sensitive lips trembled a little, and her face was pale with anxiety. "'Oh, yes, he seems to think the dear boy's recovery is only a matter of time and care. We are to be very watchful. The patient is extremely weak. That's where the peril lies.' has he taken his turtle soup oh only a spoonful or two he has such a dislike to that and indeed to almost everything poor old nurse is in despair for several weeks morton remained in this state the delirium and sleeplessness continuing the london physician was summoned again and on this second occasion was less hopeful shafto Jeb went on in his jog-trot way feeling the patient's pulse three times a day and urging the administration of nourishment which the patient refused to take in all that weary time morton had been nursed by the women of his household mr jebb had suggested a professional nurse but miss blake had set her face against hireling help there was old rebecca who had nursed walter blake and his children after him and had lived at tangley ever since the estate had belonged to the blake family ready and willing to watch the patient by day and night were it needful and skilled in all the arts of sick nursing there was miss blake herself and lastly there was lizzie hardman the cleverest and quietest of nurses a sick man could desire throughout the long period of his delirium Morton had seemed to feel comfort in Lizzie's presence. He had turned to her rather than to his aunt, as if her hand and voice had a more soothing power. One evening, towards the end of April, when Miss Blake had gone to her room, fairly worn out with anxiety, and when old Rebecca was dozing over her pipkins and tea-kettle by the fire in the dressing-room, Lizzie sat alone at her needlework by Morton's bed, while he lay looking at the wall apathetic, silent, the image of despair. The tears were slowly streaming down Lizzie's cheeks as she sat there, a quiet figure seemingly absorbed in womanly work. Today Mr. Jebb had for the first time confessed himself uneasy as to the result of Morton's illness. The young man's strength was ebbing day by day, and that recuperative effort which the surgeon had expected from nature had not yet been made unless he makes a desperate rally within the next few days i am afraid we shall lose him said the surgeon lizzie had heard this and she sat by her old playfellow's bed praying silently while the slow tears stole down her pale cheeks wan with long watching she had been thinking what could be done to save him as he lay there helpless hopeless dying She and Aunt Dora had spent many a sad hour in talking of him and speculating about him during that dismal time, and they had come to the conclusion that some breach with Dulcie was at the root of this illness. How the severance had arisen neither Miss Blake nor Lizzie could imagine, but that the tie had been broken they both felt convinced, knowing no way else to account for Morton's despair. Today Lizzie had heard news that had startled her and she was now meditating upon a desperate step. I would do anything to save his life, she said to herself. Anything. And then she looked at the haggard face, the wild eyes staring at vacancy, and her heart sank within her. Must he pass from madness to death? Would that be the end of his bright young life, so full of promise, of power and energy for all good deeds? Throughout his illness he had seemed to understand her better than he understood anyone else, to talk more rationally to her than to others. Presently she knelt beside the bed and took his wasted hand in hers and spoke to him in a low grave voice, slowly and deliberately. Would you like to see Dulcie? The wild eyes fixed themselves suddenly upon the questioner's face. The name acted like a spell. It was the first time that name had been pronounced in Morton's hearing since the beginning of his illness. His burning hand clutched Lizzie Hardman's wrist. His eager eyes scrutinised her face. "'You're making a fool of me,' he said angrily. "'You think I'm mad and that you can cheat me, but you can't. Dulcie is in Algeria.' "'She is at Fairview.' If you will promise to be a more obedient patient and to do all the doctor tells you, I will bring her to see you within the next twenty-four hours. Has she come back? Are you sure of that? She came back this afternoon. Sir Everard has been ill, is very ill now, I believe, and he had a fancy for coming back to Fairview. If you will do all I ask you, if you will exercise self-command and try to get better... I will bring her to see you tomorrow evening. She would not come. She and I are parted for ever. There is a reason, a horrible reason, why she can never be my wife. Lizzie thought that this was mere raving, one of the hallucinations of fever. She will come to see you when she knows you are ill you may have quarrelled but she cannot have ceased altogether to care for you since last christmas i saw you together then remember and i know there was love enough and to spare on both sides love is not all in this world said morton moodily and then after a silence of some minutes he asked has she really come home you never told me a lie lizzie and yet i am afraid to trust you when a man is ill and off his head he's treated like a child everybody fools him has dulcie come back she has upon my honour then i will eat anything drink anything and endure anything only to see her dear face only to clasp her hand he took a few spoonfuls of egg and brandy and a little invalid turtle between that time and midnight and lulled and comforted by the hope of seeing dulcie he slept for an hour or so in the night lizzie watching by him till the bright spring dawn while miss blake slept the sleep of bodily and mental exhaustion chapter twenty nine